chapter sixteen of ardath by marie corelli this librivox recording is in the public domain the prophet of doom a few slow dreadful minutes elapsed and then then the first sharpness of his strange mental agony subsided the strained tension of his nerves gave way and a dull apathy of grief inconsolable settled upon him he felt himself to be a man mysteriously accursed banished as it were out of life and stripped of all he had once held dear and valuable how had it happened why was he set apart thus solitary poor and empty of all worth while another reaped the fruits of his genius he heard the loud plaudits of the assembled court shaking the vast hall as the laureate ended his song and drooping his head some stinging tears welled up in his eyes and fell scorchingly on his clasped hands tears wrung from the very depth of his secretly tortured soul at that moment the beautiful saluma turned toward him smiling as one who looked for more sympathetic approbation than that offered by a mixed throng and meeting that happy self-conscious bland half-inquiring gaze he strove his best to return the smile just then zephyronim's fiery glance swept over him with a curious expression of wonder and commiseration by the gods yon stranger weeps said the monarch in a half bantering tone then with more gentleness he added yet tis not the first time saluma's voice hath unsealed a fountain of tears no greater triumph can minstrel have than this to move the strong man's heart to woman's tenderness we have heard tell of poets who singing of death have persuaded many straightway to die but when they sing of sweeter themes of lovers vows of passion frenzies and languorous desires cold is the blood that will not warm and thrill to their divinely eloquent allurements come hither fair sir and he beckoned to theos who mechanically advanced in obedience to the command thou hast thoughts of thine own doubtless concerning love and love's fervour of delight hast aught new to tell us of its bewildering spells whereby the most dauntless heroes in every age have been caught conquered and bound by no stronger chain than a tress of hair or a kiss more luscious than all the honey hidden in lotus flowers theos looked up dreamily his eyes wandered from the king to saluma as though in wistful search for some missing thing his lips were parched and burning and his brows ached with a heavy weight of pain but he made an effort to speak and succeeded though his words came slowly and without any previous reflection on his own part alas most potent sovereign he murmured i am a man of sad memories whose soul is like the desert barren of all beauty i may have sung of love in my time but my songs were never new never worthy to last one little hour and whatsoever of faith passion or heart ecstasy my fancy could with devious dreams devise saluma knows and in saluma's song all my best thoughts are said there was a ring of intense pathos in his voice as he spoke and the king eyed him compassionately of a truth thou seemest to have suffered he observed in gentle accents thou hast to look as of one bereft of joy hast lost some maiden love of thine and dost thou mourn her still a pang bitter as death shot through theos's heart had the monarch suddenly pierced him with his great sword 
he could scarcely have endured more anguish for the knowledge rushed upon him that he had indeed lost a love so faithful so unfathomable so pure and perfect that all the world weighed in the balance against it would have seemed but a grain of dust compared to its inestimable value but what that love was and from whom it emanated he could no more tell than the tide can tell in syllabled language the secret of its attraction to the moon therefore he made no answer only a deep half-smothered sigh broke from him and zephyronum apparently touched by his dejection continued good-naturedly nay nay we will not seek to pry into the cause of thy spirit's heaviness enough think no more of our thoughtless question there is a sacredness in sorrow nevertheless we shall strive to make thee in part forget thy grief ere thou leavest our court and city meanwhile sit thou there and he pointed to the lower step of the dais and thou saluma sing again and this time let thy song be set to a less plaintive key he leaned back in his throne and theo sat wearily down among the flowers at the foot of the dais as commanded he was possessed by a strange inward dread the dread of altogether losing the consciousness of his own identity and while he strove to keep a firm grasp on his mental faculties he at the same time abandoned all hope of ever extricating himself from the perplexing enigma in which he was so darkly involved forcing himself by degrees into comparative calmness he determined to resign himself to his fate and the idea he had just had of boldly claiming the ballad sung by saluma as his own completely passed out of his mind how could he speak against this friend whom he loved ay more than he had ever loved any living thing besides what could he prove to begin with in his present condition who could give no satisfactory account of himself if he were asked questions concerning his nation or birthplace he could not answer them he did not even know where he had come from save that his memory persistently furnished him with the name of a place called ardath but what was this ardath to him he mused what did it signify what had it to do with his immediate position nothing so far as he could tell his intellect seemed to be divided into two parts one a total blank the other filled with crowding images that while novel were yet curiously familiar and how could he accuse saluma of literary theft when he had none of his own dated manuscripts to bear out his case of course he could easily repeat his boyhood's verses word for word but what of that he a stranger in the city befriended and protected by the laureate would certainly be considered by the people of alciris as far more likely to steal saluma's thoughts than that saluma should steal his no there was no help for it as matters stood he could say nothing he could only feel as though he were the sorrowful ghost of some long ago dead author returned to earth to hear others claiming his works and passing them off as original compositions and thus he was scarcely moved to any fresh surprise when saluma giving back the harp to his attendant rose up and standing erect in an attitude unequalled for grace and dignity began to recite a poem he remembered to have written when he was about twenty years of age a poem daringly planned which when published had aroused the bitterest animosity of the press critics on account of what they called its forced sublimity the sublimity was by no means forced it was the spontaneous outcome of a fresh and ardent nature full of enthusiasm 
and high soaring aspiration but the critics cared nothing for this all they saw was a young man presuming to be original and down they came upon him accordingly he recollected all the heart-sore sufferings he had endured through that ill-fated and cruelly condemned composition and now he was listlessly amazed at the breathless rapture and excitement it evoked here in this marvellous city of alciris where everything seemed more strange and weird than the strangest dream it was a story of the gods before the world was made of love deep buried in far in eternities of light of vast celestial shapes whose wanderings through the blue deep of space were tracked by the birth of stars and suns and wonder spheres of beauty a fanciful legend of transcendent heavenly passion telling how all created worlds throbbed amorously in the purple seas of pure ether and how love and love alone was the dominant cloud of the triumphal march of the universe and with what matchless eloquence saluma spoke the glowing lines with what clear and rounded tenderness of accent how exquisitely his voice rose and fell in a rhythmic rush like the wind surging through many leaves while ever and anon in the very midst of the divinely entrancing joy that chiefly characterized the poem his musicianly art infused a touch of minor pathos a suggestion of the eternal complaint of nature which even in the happiest moments asserts itself in mournful undertones the effect of his splendid declamation was heightened by a few soft running passages dexterously played on the harp by his attendant harpist and introduced just at the right moments and theos notwithstanding the peculiar position in which he was placed listened to every well-remembered word of his own work thus recited with a gradually deepening sense of peace he knew not why for the verses in themselves were strangely passionate and wild the various impressions produced on the hearers were curious to witness the king moved restlessly his bronze cheeks alternately flushing and paling his hand now grasping his sword now toying with the innumerable jewels that blazed on his breast the women's eyes at one moment sparkled with delight and at the next grew humid with tears the assembled courtiers pressed forward awed eager and attentive the very soldiers on guard seemed entranced and not even a small side whisper disturbed the harmonious fall and flow of dulcet speech that rippled from the laureate's lips when he ceased there broke forth such a tremendous uproar of applause that the amber pendants of the lamps swung to and fro in the strong vibration of so many uplifted voices shouts of frenzied rapture echoed again and again through the vault of roof like thuds of thunder shouts in which theos joined as why should he not he had as good a right as any one to applaud his own poem it had been sufficiently abused heretofore he was glad to find it now so well appreciated at least in alciris though he had no intention of putting forward any claim to its authorship no for it was evident he had in some inscrutable way been made an outcast from all literary honour and a sort of wild recklessness grew up within him a bitter mirth arising from curiously mingled feelings of scorn for himself and tenderness for saluma and it was in this spirit that he loudly cheered the triumphant robber of his stores of poesy and even kept up the plaudits long after they might possibly have been discontinued never perhaps did any poet receive a grander ovation 
but the exquisitely tranquil vanity of the laureate was not a whit moved by it his dazzling smile dawned like a gleam of sunshine all over his beautiful face but save for this he gave no sign of even hearing the deafening acclamations that resounded about him on all sides a new illy spiros cried the king enthusiastically and detaching a magnificently cut ruby from among the gems he wore he flung it toward his favoured minstrel it flashed through the air like a bright spark of flame and fell glistening redly on the pavement just halfway between theos and saluma theos eyed it with faintly amused indifference the laureate bowed gracefully but did not stoop to raise it he left that task to his heart-bearer who taking it up presented it to his master humbly on one knee then and only then saluma received it kissed it lightly and placed it negligently among his other ornaments smiling at the king as he did so with the air of one who graciously condescends to accept a gift out of kindly feeling for the donor sebastes meanwhile had witnessed the scene with an expression of mingled impatience malignity and disgust written plainly on his furrowed features and as soon as the hubbub of applause had subsided he struck his staff on the ground with an angry clang and exclaimed irritably now may the god shield us from a plague of fools what means this throaty clamour ye praise what ye do not understand like all the rest of the discerning public many is the time as the weariness of my spirit witnesseth that i have heard saluma rehearse but never in all my experience of his prolix multiloquence hath he given utterance to such a senseless jingle jangle of verse jargon as to-night strange it is that the so-called poetical trick of confusedly heaping words together regardless of meaning should so bewilder men and deprive them of all wise and sober judgment by my faith i would as soon listen to the gabble of geese in a farmyard as to the silly glibness of such inflated twaddle such mawkish sentiment such turgid garrulity such ranting verbosity a burst of laughter interrupted and drowned his harsh voice laughter in which no one joined more heartily than saluma himself he had resumed his seat in his ivory chair and leaning back lazily he surveyed his critic with tolerant good-humour and complete amusement while the king's stentorian ha 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 resounded in ringing peals through the great audience chamber thou droll knave cried zephyronim at last dashing away the drops his merriment had brought into his eyes wilt kill me with thy bitter-mouthed jests of a truth my sides acheth thee what ails thee now come we will have patience if so be our mirth can be restrained speak what flaw canst thou find in our saluma's pearl of poesy what spots on the sun of his divine inspiration as the serpent lives thou art an excellent mountebank and well deservest thy master's pay he laughed again but zabastes seemed in no wise disconcerted his withered countenance appeared to harden itself into lines of impenetrable obstinacy tucking his long staff under his arm he put his fingers together in the manner of one who inwardly counts up certain numbers and with a preparatory smack of his lips began free speech being permitted to me o most mighty zephyronim i would in the first place say that the poem so greatly admired by your majesty is totally devoid of common sense it is purely a caprice of the imagination and what is imagination 
a mere aberration of the cerebral nerves a morbidity of brain in which the thoughts brood on the impossible on things that have never been and never will be thus saluma's verse resembles the incoherent ravings of a moon-struck madman moreover it hath a prevailing tone of forced sublimity here theos gave an involuntary start then recollecting where he was resumed his passive attitude which is in every way distasteful to the ears that love plain language for instance what warrant is there for this most foolish line the solemn chanting of the midnight stars tis vile tis vile for who ever heard the midnight stars or any other stars chant who can prove that the heavenly bodies are given to the study of music hath saluma been present at their singing lesson here the old critic chuckled and warming with his subject advanced a step nearer to the throne as he went on here yet another jarring simile the wild winds moan for pity of the world was ever a more indiscreet lie a brazen lie for the tales of shipwreck sufficiently prove the pitilessness of winds and however much a verse-weaver may pretend to be in the confidence of nature he is after all but the dupe of his own frenetic dreams one couplet hath most discordantly annoyed my senses tis the various doggerel the sun with amorous clutch tears off the emerald girdle of the rose o oh, monstrous piece of extravagance for how can the sun his deity set apart clutch without hands and as for the emerald girdle of the rose i know not what it means unless saluma considers the green calyx of the flower a girdle in which case his wits must be far gone for no shape of girdle can any sane man descry in the common natural protection of a bud before it blooms there was a phrase too concerning nightingales and the gods know we have heard enough and too much of those overpraised birds here he was interrupted by one of his frequent attacks of coughing and again the laughter of the whole court broke forth in joyous echoes laugh laugh said zabastes recovering himself and eyeing the throng with a derisive smile laugh you witless bantlings born of folly and cling as you will to the unsubstantial dreams your laureate blows for you in the air like a child playing with soap bubbles empty and perishable are they all they shine for a moment then break and vanish and the colours wherewith they sparkled colours deemed immortal in their beauty shall pass away like a breath and be renewed no more not so interposed theos suddenly unknowing why he spoke but feeling inwardly compelled to take up saluma's defence for the colours are immortal and permeate the universe whether seen in the soap bubble or the rainbow seven tones of light exist co-equal with the seven tones in music and much of what we call art and poesy is but the constant reflex of these never-dying tints and sounds can a critic enter more closely into the secrets of nature than a poet nay for he would undo all creation were he able and find fault with its fairest productions the critical mind dwells too persistently on the mere surface of things ever to comprehend or probe the central deeps and wellsprings of thought will Zabastes move us to tears and passion will he make our pulses beat with any happier thrill 
or stir our blood into a warmer glow he may be able to sever the petals of a lily and name its different sections its way of growth and habitude but can he raise it from the ground alive and fair a perfect flower full of sweet odours and still sweeter suggestions no but saluma with entrancing art can make us see not one lily but a thousand lilies all waving in the light wind of his fancy not one world but a thousand worlds circling through the empyrean of his rhythmic splendour not one joy but a thousand joys all quivering song-wise through the radiance of his clear illumined inspiration the heart the human heart alone is the final touchstone of a poet's genius and when that responds who shall deny his deathless fame loud applause followed these words and the king leaning forward clapped theos familiarly on the shoulder bravely spoken sir stranger he exclaimed thou hast well vindicated thy friend's honour and by my soul thou hast a musical tongue of thine own who knows but that thou also may be a poet yet in time to come and thou zabastes here he turned upon the old critic who while theo spoke had surveyed him with much cynical disdain get thee hence thine arguments are all at fault as usual thou art thyself a disappointed author hence thy spleen thou art blind and deaf selfish and obstinate for thee this very sun is a blot rather than a brightness thou couldst in thine own opinion have created a fairer luminary doubtless had the matter been left to thee ay ay we know thee for a beauty-hating fool and though we laugh at thee we find thee wearisome stand thou aside and be straightway forgotten we will entreat saluma for another song the discomfited zabastes retired grumbling to himself in an undertone and the laureate whose dreamy eyes had till now rested on theos his self-constituted advocate with an appreciative and almost tender regard once more took up his harp and striking a few rich soft chords was about to sing again when a great noise as of clanking armour was heard outside mingled with a steadily increasing sonorous hum of many voices and the increased tramp tramp of marching feet the doors were flung open the herald-in-waiting entered in hot haste and excitement and prostrating himself before the throne exclaimed o great king may thy name live for ever coast rule is taken zephyronim's black brows drew together in a dark scowl and he set his lips hard so for once thou art quick-tongued in the utterance of news he said half scornfully bring hither the captive and he chafes at his bonds we will ourselves release him and he touched his sword significantly to a wider freedom than is found on earth a thrill ran through the courtly throng at these words and the women shuddered and grew pale saluma irritated at the sudden interruption that had thus distracted the general attention from his own fair and flatter itself gave an expressly petulant glance toward theos who smiled back at him soothingly as one who seeks to coax a spoilt child out of its ill-humour and then all eyes were turned expectantly toward the entrance of the audience chamber a band of soldiers clad from head to foot in glittering steel armour and carrying short-drawn swords appeared and marched with quick ringing steps across the hall toward the throne arrived at the dais they halted wheeled about saluted and parted asunder in two compact lines 
thus displaying in their midst the bound and manacled figure of a tall gaunt wild-looking old man with eyes that burned like bright flames beneath the cavernous shadow of his bent and shelving brows a man whose aspect was so grand and withal so terrible that an involuntary murmur of mingled admiration and affright broke from the lips of all assembled like a low wind surging among leaf-laden branches this was coast rule the prophet of a creed that was to revolutionize the world the fanatic for a faith as yet unrevealed to men the dauntless foreteller of the downfall of alciras and its king theo stared wonderingly at him at his funereal black garments which clung to him with the closeness of a shroud at his long untrimmed beard and snow-white hair that fell in disordered matted locks below his shoulders at his majestic form which in spite of cords and feathers he held firmly erect in an attitude of fearless and composed dignity there was something supernaturally grand and awe-inspiring about him something commanding as well as defiant in the straight and steady look with which he confronted the king and for a moment or so a deep silence reigned silence apparently born of superstitious dread inspired by the mere fact of his presence zephyronim's glance rested upon him with cold and supercilious indifference seated haughtily upright in his throne with one hand resting on the hilt of his sword he showed no sign of anger against or interest in his prisoner save that to the observant eye of theos the veins in his forehead seemed to become suddenly knotted and swollen while the jewels on his bare chest heaved restlessly up and down with the unquiet panting of his quickened breath we give thee greeting coast rule he said slowly and with a sinister smile the lion's paw has struck thee down at last too long hast thou trifled with our patience thou must abjure thy heresies or die what sayest thou now of doom of judgment of the waning of glory wilt prophesy wilt denounce the faith wilt mislead the people wilt curse the king thou mad sorcerer devil bewitched and blasphemous what shall hinder me from at once slaying thee and he half drew his formidable sword from its sheath coast rule met his threatening gaze unflinchingly nothing shall hinder thee zephyronim he replied in his voice deeply musical and resonant struck to theos's heart with a strange foreboding chill nothing save thine own scorn of cowardice the monarch's hand fell from his sword-hilt a flush of shame reddened his dark face he bent his fiery eyes full on the captive and there was something in the sorrowful grandeur of the old man's bearing coupled with his enfeebled and defenceless condition that seemed to touch him with a sense of compassion for turning suddenly to the armed guard he raised his hand with a gesture of authority unloose his fetters he commanded the men hesitated apparently doubting whether they had heard aright zephyronim stamped his foot impatiently unloose him i say by the gods must i repeat the same thing twice since when have soldiers grown deaf to the voice of their sovereign and why have ye bound this aged fool with such many and tight bonds his veins and sinews are not of iron methinks ye might have tied him with thread and met with small resistance i have known many a muscular deserter from the army fastened less securely when captured unloose him and quickly too 
our pleasure is that ere he dies he shall speak and he will in his own defence as a free man in trembling haste and eagerness the guards at once set to work to obey this order the twisted cords were untied the heavy iron fetters wrenched asunder and in a very short space Kosrul stood at comparative liberty at first he did not seem to understand the king's generosity toward him in this respect for he made no attempt to move his limbs were rigidly composed as though they were still bound and so stiff and motionless was his weird attenuated figure that theos beholding him began to wonder whether he were made of actual flesh and blood or whether he might not more possibly be some gaunt spectre forced back by mystic art from another world in order to testify of things unknown to living men zephyronim meanwhile called for his cup-bearer a beautiful youth radiant as ganymede who at a sign from his royal master approached the prophet and pouring wine from a jewelled flagon into a goblet of gold offered it to him with a courteous salute and smile kosrul started violently like one suddenly wakened from a deep dream shading his eyes with his lean and wrinkled hand he stared dubiously at the young and gaily attired servitor then pushed the goblet aside with a shuddering gesture of aversion away away he muttered in a thrilling whisper that penetrated to every part of the vast hall wilt force me to drink blood he paused and in the same low horror-stricken tone continued blood blood it stains the earth and sky its red red waves swallow up the land the heavens grow pale and tremble the silver stars blacken and decay and the winds of the desert make lament for that which shall come to pass ere ever the grapes be pressed or the harvest gathered blood blood the blood of the innocent tis a scarlet sea wherein like a broken and empty ship alcirus founders founders never to rise again these words uttered with such hushed yet passionate intensity produced a most profound impression several courtiers exchanged uneasy glances and the women half rose from their seats looking toward the king as though silently requesting permission to retire but an imperious negative sign from zephyronim obliged them to resume their places though they did so with obvious nervous reluctance thou art mad kosrul then said the monarch in calmly measured accents and for thy madness as also for thine age we have till now retarded justice out of pity nevertheless excess of pity in great kings too oft degenerates into weakness and this we cannot suffer to be said of us not even for the sake of sparing thy few poor remaining years thou hast overstepped the limit of our leniency and madman as thou art thou showest a madman's cunning thou dost break the laws and art dangerous to the realm thou art proved a traitor and must straightway die thou art accused of honesty interrupted kosrul suddenly with a touch of melancholy satire in his tone i have spoken truth in an age of lies tis a most death-worthy deed he ceased and again seemed to retire within himself as though he were a voice entering at will into the carven image of man zephyronim frowned angrily yet answered nothing and a brief pause ensued theos grew more and more painfully interested in the scene there was something in it that to his mind seemed fatefully suggestive and fraught with impending evil suddenly saluma looked up his bright face alit with laughter 
now by the sacred veil he said gaily addressing himself to the king your majesty considers this venerable gentleman with too much gravity i recognize in him one of my craft a poet tragic and taciturn of humour and with a taste for melodramatic simile marked you not the mixing of his word colours in the picture he drew of alciris foundering like a wrecked ship in a blood-red sea whilst overhead trembled a white sky set thick with blackening stars as i live twas not ill-devised for a madman's brain and so solemn a ranter should serve your majesty to make merriment withal in place of my poor zabastes whose peevish jests grow somewhat stale owing to the critic's chronic want of originality nay i myself shall be willing to enter into a rhyming joust with so disconsolately morose a contemporary and who knows whether betwixt us twain the chords of the major and minor may not be harmonized in some new and altogether marvellous fashion of music such as we wot not of and turning to coastrule he added wilt break a lance of song with me sir greybeard thou shalt croak of death and i will chant of love and the king shall pronounce judgment as to which melody hath the most potent and lasting sweetness coastrule lifted his head and met the laureate's half mirthful half mocking smile with a look of infinite compassion in his own deep solemnly penetrating eyes thou poor deluded singer of a perishable day he said mournfully alas for thee that thou must die so soon and be so soon forgotten thy fame is worthless as a grain of sand blown by the breath of the sea thy pride and thy triumph evanescent as the mists of the morning that vanish in the heat of the sun great has been the measure of thine inspiration yet thou hast missed its true teaching and of all the golden threads of poesy placed really in thy hands thou hast not woven one clue whereby thou shouldst find god alas saluma bright soul unconscious of thy fate thou shalt be suddenly and roughly slain and there sits thy destroyer and as he spoke he raised his shrunken skeleton-like hand and pointed steadfastly to the king there was a momentary hush a stillness as of stupefied amazement and horror then to the apparent relief of all present zephyronum burst out laughing by all the virtues of nagaya he cried this is most excellent fooling i zephyronum the destroyer of my friend and first favourite in the realm old man thy frenzy exceeds belief and exhausts patience though of truth i am sorry for the shattering of thy wits tis sad that reason should be lacking to one so revered and grave of aspect dear to me as my royal crown is the life of saluma through whose inspired writings alone my name shall live in the annals of future history for the glory of a great poet must ever surpass the renown of the greatest king were alciris besieged by a thousand enemies and these strong palace walls raised to the ground by the engines of warfare we would ourselves defend saluma i even cry aloud in the heat of combat that he the chief minstrel of our land should be sheltered from fury and spared from death as the only one capable of chronicling our vanquishment of victory saluma smiled and bowed gracefully in response to this enthusiastic assurance of his sovereign's friendship but nevertheless there was a slight shadow of uneasiness on his bold beautiful brows he had evidently been uncomfortably impressed by kosrul's words and the restless anxiety reflected in his face communicated itself by a sort of electric thrill to theos whose heart began to beat heavily with a sense of vague alarm 
what is this coast rule he thought half resentfully and how dares he predict for the adored the admired saluma so dark and unmerited an end hark what was that low far-off rumbling as of underground wheels rolling at full speed he listened then glanced at those persons who stood nearest to him no one seemed to hear anything unusual moreover all eyes were fixed fearfully on coast rule whose before rigidly sombre demeanour had suddenly changed and who now with raised head tossed hair outstretched arms and wild gestures looked like a flaming terror personified victory victory he cried catching at the king's last word there shall be no more victory for thee zephyranum thy conquests are ended and the flag of thy glory shall cease to wave on the towers of thy strong citadels death stands behind thee destruction clamours at thy palace gates and the enemy that cometh upon thee unawares is an enemy that none shall vanquish or subdue not even they who are mightiest among the mighty thy strong men of war shall be trodden down as wheat thy captains and rulers shall tremble and wail as children bewildered with fear thy great engines of battle shall be to thee as naught and the arrows of thy skilled archers shall be useless as straws in the gathering tempest of fire and fury zephyranum zephyranum and his voice shrilled with terrific emphasis through the vaulted chamber the days of recompense are come upon thee swift and terrible as the desert wind the doom of alcaris is spoken and who shall avert its fulfilment alcaris the magnificent shall fall shall fall its beauty its greatness its pleasantness its power shall be utterly destroyed and ere the waning of the midsummer moon not one stone of its glorious buildings shall be left to prove that here was once a city fire fire and here he ran abruptly to the foot of the royal dais his dark garments brushing against theos as he passed and springing on the first step stood boldly within hand-reach of the king who taken aback by the suddenness of his action stared at him with a sort of amazed and angry fascination to arms zephyranum to arms take up thy sword and shield get thee forth and fight with fire fire how shall the king quench it how shall the mighty monarch defend his people against it see you not how it fills the air with red devouring tongues of flame the thick smoke reeks of blood alcaris the magnificent the pleasant city of sin the idolatrous city is broken in pieces and has become a waste of ashes who will join with me in a lament for alcaris i will call upon the desert of the sea to hear my voice i will pour forth my sorrows on the wind and it shall carry the burden of grief to the four quarters of the earth all nations shall shudder and be astonished at the direful end of alcaris the city beautiful the empress of kingdoms woe unto alcaris for she hath suffered herself to be led astray by her rulers she hath drunken deep of the innocent blood and hath followed after idols her abominations are manifold in the hearts of her young men and maidens are full of evil therefore because alcaris delighteth in pride and despiseth repentance so shall destruction descend furiously upon her even as a sudden tempest in the mid-watches of the night she shall be swept away from the surface of the earth wolves shall make their lair in her pleasant gardens and the generations of men shall remember her no more o ye kings princes and warriors weep weep for the doom of alcaris and now his wild voice sank by degrees into a piteous plaintiveness weep for never again on earth shall be found a fairer dwelling-place for the lovers of joy never again shall be builded a grander city for the glory and wealth of a people alcaris alcaris thou that boastest of ancient days and long lineage thou art become a forgotten heap of ruin the sands of the desert shall cover thy temples and palaces and none hereafter shall inquire concerning thee none shall bemoan thee none shall shed tears for the grievous manner of thy death 
none shall know the names of thy mighty heroes and men of fame for thou shalt vanish utterly and be lost far out of memory even as though thou hadst never been here he stopped abruptly and caught his breath hard his blazing eyes preternaturally large and brilliant fixed themselves steadfastly on the sculptured ivory shield that surmounted the back of the king's throne and over his drawn and wrinkled features came an expression of such ghastly horror that instinctively every one present turned their looks in the same direction suddenly a shriek piercing and terrible broke from his lips a shriek that like a swiftly descending knife seemed to saw the air discordantly asunder see see he cried in fierce haste and eagerness see how the crested head gleams how the soft shiny throat curves and glistens how the lithe body twists and twines hence hence accursed snake thou poisoner of peace thou quivering sting in the flesh thou destroyer of the strength of manhood what hast thou to do with zephyronim that thou dost wind thy many coils about his heart lycia lycia here the king started violently his face flushing darkly red thou delicate abomination thou tyrannous treachery what shall be done unto thee in the hour of darkness put off put off the ornaments of gold and the jewels wherewith thou adornest thy beauty and crown thyself with the crown of an endless affliction for thou shalt be girdled round about with flame and fire shall be thy garment thy lips that have drunken sweet wine shall be steeped in bitterness vainly shalt thou make thyself fair and call aloud on thy legion of lovers they shall be as dead men deaf to thine entreaties and none shall answer thee no not one none shall hide thee from shame or offer thee comfort in the midst of thy lascivious delights shalt thou suddenly perish and my soul shall be avenged on thy sins thou unvirgined virgin thou queen courtesan scarcely had he uttered the last word when the king with a furious oath sprang upon him grasped him by the throat and thrusting him fiercely down on the steps of the dais placed one foot on his prostrate body then drawing his gigantic sword he lifted it on high the blight blade glittered in air an audible gasp of terror broke from the throng of spectators another second and kosru's life would have paid the forfeit for his temerity when crash a sudden and tremendous clap of thunder shook the hall and every lamp was extinguished impenetrable darkness reigned thick close suffocating darkness the thunder rolled away in sullen vibrating echoes and there was a short impressive silence then piercing through the profound gloom came the clamorous cries and shrieks of frightened women the horrible selfish scrambling pushing and struggling of a bewildered panic-stricken crowd the helpless nerveless unreasoning distraction that human beings exhibit when striving together for escape from some imminent deadly peril and though the king's stentorian voice could be heard above all the tumult loudly commanding order his alternate threats and persuasions were of no avail to calm the frenzy of fear into which the whole court was thrown groans and sobs wild entreaties to nagaya and the sun-god curses from the soldiery who intent on saving themselves were brutally trying to force a passage through the door regardless of the wailing women whose frantic appeals for rescue and assistance were heart-rending to hear all these sounds increased the horror of the situation and theos blind giddy and confused listened to the uproar around him with something of the affrighted compassion that a stranger in hell might be supposed to feel when hearkening to the ceaseless plaints of the self-tortured wicked he endeavoured to grope his way to saluma's side and just then lights appeared lights that were not of earth's kindling strange wandering flames that danced and flitted along the tapestried walls like will-o'-the-wisps on a dark morass and flung a ghastly blue glare on the pale uneasy faces of the scared people till gathering in a sort of lurid ring round the throne they outlined in strong relief the enraged titanesque figure of zephyronim whose upraised sword looked in itself like an arrested flash of lightning 
brighter and brighter grew the weird lustre illumining the whole scene the vast length of the splendid hall the shining armour of the soldiers the white robes of the women the flags and pennons that hung from the roof and swayed to and fro as though blown by a gust of wind every object near and distant was soon as visible as in broad day and then a terrible cry of rage burst from the king the cry of a maddened wild beast death and fury he shouted striking his sword with a fierce clang against the silver pedestal of the throne where is coast rule the silence of an absolute dismay answered him coast rule had fled like a cloud melting in air or a ghost vanishing into the nether world he had mysteriously disappeared he had escaped no one knew how from under the very feet and out of the very grasp of the irate monarch whose baffled wrath now knew no bounds dolts idiots cowards and he hurled these epithets at the timorous crowd with all the ferocity of a giant hurling stones at a swarm of pygmies babes that are frighted by a summer thunderstorm ye have let yon accursed heretic slip from my hands ere i had choked him with his own lie o ye fools ye puny villains i take shame to myself that i am king of such a race of weaklings lights bring lights hither ye whimpering slaves ye shivering poltroons what call yourselves men nay ye are feeble girls pranked out in men's attire and your steel corslets cover the faintest hearts that ever fail for dastard fear shut fast the palace gates close every barrier search every court and corner lest haply this base false prophet be still here in hiding he that blasphemed with ribald tongue the high priestess of our faith the holy virgin lycia are ye all turned renegades and traitors that ye will suffer him to go free and triumph in his lawless heresy ye shameless knaves ye milk-veined rascals what abject terror makes ye thus quiver like aspen leaves in a storm this darkness is but a conjurous trick to scare women and coast rules followers can so play with the strings of electricity that ye are duped into accepting the rich glamorous heaven's own cloud flame by the gods if alcaris falls as yon dotard pronounceth her ruins shall bury but few heroes our superstitious and degraded o oh, superstitious and degraded souls i would ye were even as i am a man dauntless a soldier unafraid his powerful and indignant voice had the effect of partially checking the panic and restoring something like order the pushing and struggling for an immediate exit ceased the armed guards in shamed silence began to marshal themselves together in readiness to start on the search for the fugitive and several pages rushed in with flaring torches which cast a wondrous fire-glow on the surging throng of eager and timid faces the brilliant costumes the flash of jewels the glimmer of swords and the dark outlines of the fluttering tapestry all forming together a curious chiaroscuro from which the massive figure of zephyronum stood out in bold and striking prominence against the white and silver background of his throne vaguely bewildered and lost in a dim stupefaction of wonderment theos looked upon everything with an odd sense of strained calmness the glittering saloon whirled before his eyes like a passing picture in a magic glass and then an imperative knowledge forced itself upon his mind he had witnessed this self-same scene before where and when impossible to say but he distinctly remembered each incident this impression however left him as rapidly as it had come before he had any time to puzzle himself about it and just at that moment saluma's hand caught his own saluma's voice whispered in his ear let us away my friend there will be naught now but mounting of guards and dire confusion the king is as a lion roused and will not cease growling till his vengeance be satisfied a plague on this shatter-pated prophet he hath broken through my music and jarred poesy into discord by the sacred veil didst ever hear such a hideous clamour of contradictory tongues all striving to explain what defies explanation namely coast rules flight for which after all no one is to blame so much as zephyronim himself but tis the privilege of monarchs to shift their own mistakes and follies on to the shoulders of their subjects 
come lycia awaits us and will not easily pardon our tardy obedience to her summons let us hence ere the gates of the palace close lycia the unvirgined virgin the queen courtesan so had said coast rule nevertheless her name like a silver clarion made the heart of theos bound with indescribable gladness and feverish expectation and without an instant's pause he readily yielded to saluma's guidance through the gorgeously coloured confusion of the swaying crowd arm in arm the twain one a poet renowned the other a poet forgotten threaded their rapid way between the ranks of nobles officers slaves and court lackeys who were all excitedly discussing the recent scare the prophet's escape and the dread wrath of the king and hurrying along the vast hall of the two thousand columns they passed together out into the night End of chapter sixteen